The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Two Guys Smoke Shop in Salem, New Hampshire, and we're going to talk about having a plan B today. What is your plan B? Well, before we get to the plan B, mm-hmm. why don't we start with the quirky tip of the day? Good thinking, lovey. What is it, Jess? Hong Kong. There we go. All right. The the quirky tip is to have a plan in the first place, because if you don't have a plan, you can't have a plan B. But we've been running through a few different scenarios with this. Scott actually came up with this topic the other day during meditation. He goes, hey, what do you think if we do this for the topic? I said, sounds great. And we kind of approached it from some different angles. But when you're dealing with... Go ahead. Excuse me. I think I was chastised before... You said that's a good idea because I wasn't I didn't clearing my mind. I, I was daydreaming that, and thinking about things. I said that that's things. good feedback, that meditation yeah. you were thinking of a new idea. was a little point of idea. contention there for a few uh, moments. We have Moving those, on. We have those sometimes. So, uh, But we are coming at this a little bit from different angles about what is your plan B. And the bottom line is when you're dealing with live animals, when you're dealing with dogs, when you're dealing with all of this nonsense, it is good to have a backup plan because everything does not necessarily always go as you may intend it to originally. Or spouses, for that matter. Good yeah, to have let's a plan just, B. Okay. Let's just focus on the dogs. <laughs> Speaking of that, I was like, oh, it's like the contraceptive plan B. He didn't know what that was, but that's like the day after pill. I was going to get one of those and bring it for the thumbnail, but I didn't really I need to spend a, the 50 bucks. That's a bit bucks. off topic. That is plan B. You just weren't aware of it. All right. So where, why did you come up with this? Where is your headspace with this? Well, what I was thinking about, what caused me to think oh, about I this was that. I had this a client great. that um, I returned their dog recently uh, after having the dog for a couple of weeks and the dog... It was loose in the house, running around. Everyone was happy, big party. And then I said, why don't you let your dog out the back, you know, to go potty before we get doing some training. And uh, so the dog goes up, she calls the dog to the door. Dog sits, she opens the door, and the dog flies out the door. And I was, didn't say anything because I wanted to see what she was going to do. And I said, is that the way you normally do that? And she <laughs> said, oh, no, 95% of the time the dog sits and waits, and then I release the dog to go out. Uh, but, and the dog didn't do it that time, but she had no plan B. The dog just ran out and, and it just was allowed to do that behavior. So plan B is you want to make sure that, uh, if you're conscious of your dog, if you have a plan for your dog, you have an intention that if the dog varies from that, you need to be able to correct that situation. You have a course of action that you are planning to take. You're yeah. prepared for that situation. And there, she could have had a plan B if the dog was going to break or if the dog did break, like, I'm going to go out and follow the dog. And she was just kind of caught off guard there. So Sure. And most was, of us are. Yeah. Most of us are. But I mean, that's the kind of thing we do in our house all the time. And the reason that we're maybe more conscious of that particular situation is because we have multiple dogs. So we're opening doors. We want the dog to wait. We release them out because with multiple dogs, it can quickly become a madhouse of dogs doing whatever they want to do at any time. Especially our dogs. And uh, I mean, one thing that I would do if, if my dog went to break would be just to visual, uh, block the doorway with my foot so that I, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating possibly a problem. And if that dog's butt leaves the ground, I'm already putting my foot in front of the dog to remind them, hey, I didn't release you. Jess takes it to the opposite extreme, turns it into a training 
session <laughs> where she doesn't say free. She starts saying fire truck and, <laughs> you know, go and let's rock and roll. And the dog's sitting there waiting for her to say, could you release me to go out and potty? Yeah. You know? And it, no matter how you approach it, it's fine. But the bottom line is, is you want to have a backup plan for when something fails. So yeah, we're going to talk about a bunch of training scenarios and everything, but also there's life situations, right? So I'm really like thinking about hiking right now. The weather's getting nicer. I got some great feedback on Facebook this week about some topical holistic treatments. I'm trying some new stuff. So we're all pumped about hiking. If I am hiking alone with my dog, I have two dogs. One's like 28 pounds, one's 32. So they're both, you know, 30 pound dogs. If I'm hiking alone, I only have one dog with me at all times. And that is solely because if a dog is running up from out of nowhere and is aggressive or something else, I can call just one dog back to me. I can pick that dog up. I can protect my dog. That isn't my first go-to depending on the situation. If my dog's off leash hiking, I call him, I put him on a leash, see how the situation's going to go. Sometimes there are dogs that will rush and that will be aggressive and that will come out of the blue and there will be no owner there. So always my plan B for hiking or being on the beach or anything else is, can I take care of the one dog that I have by myself? That is kind of how I approach things and how I approach that situation. Most people just intend to go hiking with their dog or go for a walk with their dog. And this isn't to project all this like concern and anxiety and negativity into the future, but it is good to be prepared because as we all know, life doesn't always unfold how we intend it to. No, and you're planning on worst case scenario. You're planning, what do I do if a dog comes up that's aggressive and wants to go after my dog? And I think most people just are living under the assumption that all dogs are happy, carefree, they love to play with one another, and there'll never be a problem until there is a problem. And then they're like, oh shit, my dog was attacked, yeah. he's traumatized, and we're way more I got bit trying to separate him, all yeah. that stuff. And we're probably way more overprotective because of the type of clientele we seem, but even outside of other dogs or something, even weather conditions. This is a really specific one that's come up for me, especially as it's taken us so long to get to spring and it took our yard so long to melt. I like to go to the bench with our dogs. Our rental in Southern Maine happens to have this great path that like goes all the way to the back of the middle of the woods. I had Scott, you know, bring a bench out there with me. I bought a bench and we built a bench out there. So I really like to go to that and just let my dogs do a quick run in the morning. Again, only taking one at once. Well, my younger dog, Vital, she's pushy. Like, she's a lot. She loves to, like, run as fast as she can to the bench and as fast as she can to the house. And, like, it's a big cardio workout for her. When it was icy and all of a sudden we're running and I see an ice patch ahead, if I just let her take off the way she likes to run to the bench, she easily could have really, really injured herself. So even in those kind of situations, I'm conscientious of what are the conditions. I'm calling her before the ice patch. I would walk her next to me, like, you know, kind of controlled as I'm walking over some stuff. I'm thinking about stuff there. We like to do half dumb or not half dumb. We like to do Mount Washington. We haven't done it now for a few years for this, that, or the other reason, but we like to go and hike Mount Washington, the two of us. Sometimes we see people with dogs at the very like top of Mount Washington. And that's a pretty hefty hike. Sure. It's, we did half dumb together, which is why I randomly said that Mount Washington is like more like on your hands and knees and everything else. Sometimes people that have dogs there, the dogs like have cuts in their paws or something else. So if you're going to be going out on a walk like that, or, you know, your intention is to get to the summit of Mount Washington with your dog, what is your plan if your dog is injured? If your dog is Cousteau and he's 70 pounds, I don't think Scott or myself are going to be able to be carrying that dog. Like have a plan for these types of situations. And again, it's not to be paranoid. It's that sometimes just a simple hike 
can be interrupted by an aggressive dog, can be interrupted by inclement weather. Your dog could get injured. What would you do if your dog was three-legged and you were eight miles from the car? That's stressful to me. I have to plan on carrying Cousteau and you (laughs) for the rest of the trip. They do have these like cool like things that you wrap around that you can carry for hiking. I don't even know how to describe them, but they're like emergency packs that I've seen that are cool. But these are all the little types of things that Never happen, but when they do happen, it can be a big freaking issue. So talk about healing. That was a good one with you well, about. Yeah, and I would say just try and think about what your regular daily activity is where you want the dog to do a certain behavior or, and they don't do it, and they don't do it repeatedly. And one thing I talked about uh, was with Jess earlier was uh, we have a client that has a dog that it's a fairly new rescue, maybe a couple of months in the house that is now growling at them on the couch. So they sent video of the, the gentleman trying to pick this dog up and the dog is looking like he's going to bite the guy. Definitely. Protesting. And, uh, yeah. And, um, so a plan B in that case, you know, I told him, let the dog drag a leash. First of all, keep your dog off the furniture, but assuming the dog if is it's not showing aggression. Yeah, the dog it. is not um, managed closely enough that it's going to be kept off furniture. It winds up getting on the couch because it's comfortable. It's laying there. Now you go over to get get the dog off the couch. It's already had uh, one win where it's growling and keeping you from actually physically picking the dog up. So having a leash on the dog would be a plan B, where you can now remove the dog uh, physically without having to get into the kind of bite range, if you want to call it that, by picking up a six-foot leash and physically just pulling them off the couch, you know? Yeah. Talk just, about your healing, too, because you have oh, a lot of topics there with the healing. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, you, you got to have a plan. You know, be conscious, constantly conscious of your dog when you're healing. And I had a... And explain what that means, too. And I, yeah, I had a terms. client tell me, um, oh, the dog is healing. It's a little bit in front of me. It's not to your standards, but... It's, um, we're really happy because the dog isn't pulling. And I said, it's not about my standards. It's just simply about the definition of healing. Healing is the dog is, uh, their shoulder is in alignment with your leg, whether you're sitting in a stationary position or you're moving, you're either healing or you're, you're not really healing. You're kind of kind of healing, but you're not really healing. And, um, so, I mean, I would have a plan for forging. The dog is going to go out in front of me, and, and what am I going to do about it? And if your plan has been to just pull back on the leash every time the dog does that, and it's not getting better, then that's not a good plan B. You need to come up with alternatives yeah. to get that straightened out. You and know? Scott would frequently say, like, throw in frequent sits, do a pace change, maybe do a left-hand turn. If the dog, like, lunges out, juts out, he may do a 180 and turn over his right shoulder. But have a plan for if it goes poorly. And Scott says it's important to have the criteria. It is, but also dogs think in black and white terms, right? Like they don't do well in this grayish area. And humans sometimes don't either. Like sometimes the more clear cut things are for us, the better. So if the dog's really clear that, okay, this is healing, I'm supposed to be right here. And then when I'm loose leash walking, I can be anywhere. It makes it much less of a mind fuck for the lack of a better term, if you will, because the dog knows I'm either doing this or I'm not doing this rather than, oh, it's close enough to this because all that does is slip into more and more and more mush, and then you just have a dog pulling again. From our experience, what we see with our yeah, clients. Yeah, I think that having a, a, really, a free walk, you know, teaching the dog to walk loosely uh, out in front of you or not in the heel is just as important as yeah. having the strict heel because at least it gives the dog 
um, a, some more clarity about I'm either really working and you're holding me accountable to this or I'm free and I'm out here sniffing and being a dog and marking and doing all that stuff. So uh, a lot and of the t- distinguishing factor between those two things too, is if you do pass a pack of crazy dogs or, you know, dogs are barking behind a fence or your dog gets really stimulated by bicycles. And all of a sudden there's like, you know, 12 people riding through town on bikes. You can use your healing for good control there too, because you have a way to get your dog centered and really have to be focusing on its job. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was thinking about was the come command. My head is always into the obedience. Jess was thinking about more, uh, other things where this would apply, but quite often, uh, I have my clients tell me, about something that went bad, and quite often it's off-leash. And I'll say, well, why did you do that? And they said, well, we wanted to see what would happen. And that's having no plan. I just wanted to see what happened. Oh, it all went to shit. Well, that's what happens. You know, you need to have a plan. So if you're going to be working with your dog, taking him off-leash, what are you going to do if the dog doesn't want to come to you? What are you going to do if the dog doesn't come the first time you call them? You know, what if they do come the third time as a general rule? You know, if that's acceptable to you, then you're teaching the dog not to listen to you for the first two or three calls. And, you know, the dog comes after you get a little more adamant about calling them. But if you want to have a certain criteria in mind, which is you call the dog once, the dog immediately comes back to you, then if it doesn't do that, you need to have a plan B. How can I get the dog to do this behavior that I actually want them to do? How do I convey to the dog and educate the dog on what this behavior is supposed to look like. So you have to have a plan B. And, and a lot of people's plan B is just grabbing the treats and shaking the bag. And if that works for you, that's okay. But that might not translate to the beach or to a trail or anything else. And that's not necessarily legitimate, strong training. So we're trying to infuse some ideas here to help you raise your game at home. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk about a few more topics. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. All right, we're back. I just wanted to maybe flesh out the come when called a little bit before we move on. If you want to, that's fine. I'm going to piggyback off that topic. Yeah, I just wanted to say as far as having a plan B, what I would do if I had a dog that was consistently a little slow to respond to me in the coming when called, especially if there was any distraction, maybe at the beach, maybe there's... They're attracted to other humans walking on the beach, or they're attracted to other dogs on the, the beach. The water, birds. The water. There's yeah. so much birds. There's so many things that get the dog stimulated, where in another scenario, they may have a pretty good recall, but at the beach, it's not as good. I would bring my long line with me, and before I let the dog off leash, I would call the dog and make sure they come on that first uh, uh, cue and reward the heck out of them and see that their head is getting clear, even with these distractions, because... Uh, if they're not working well for you on a long line, you don't want to be taking the line off yeah, them. Yeah, no, it's not, true. You know if what you're I mean? not getting a good response And if they there, are working well, yeah. then you can take the leash off. Yeah. And you have that, that long line as a backup. 
If they run up to a person and don't come when you call them, you walk right up to that person. Excuse me, hang on one sec. You get your dog by the collar and you hook them up and you start they working They could even that. just be dragging a six-foot leash around yeah. on the beach, right? Like, find the long line worked well, but there's still a way that, you know, you can say to a stranger, hey, step on the leash, do something else. And I wanted to, and uh, Scott mentioned the treat thing, and that's a huge one. Your original plan for recalls should be, especially when you're away from the house, up your value of your treats, right? Like, if you guys had salmon without bones, bring salmon. Steak. Bring steak. Like whatever your value system is with the treats that you use, your recall, especially away from the house, should always be highest value. And that should just be plan A. We're going out. We're doing recalls away from the home. I have something really tasty for the dog to get back to. One time I hear this pop up with the, oh, I wanted to see what happened, um, is like aggression with dogs. So Scott goes out to people's homes, does an initial eval. More frequently than that, we're pretty well read on what's happening with the dog and what the setup is like. And if there's any aggression, the dog is unleashed. Sometimes somebody slips through the cracks and Scott shows up at a house. The dog doesn't look too, you know, scary or like a dog Scott can't handle. He always has a metal clipboard if something's like going to come up to attack him, you know, 30 pound dog, whatever. If the dog runs up to him, sniffs his hand, and then he's able to give him a treat, sometimes the people will say, wow, he normally bites men that come to the house, or wow, he normally bites strangers that come to the house, or wow, he never acts that way before. And he's like, well, like, what were you doing, like, allowing that situation to happen here? And they'll say, oh, we just wanted to see what would happen. So if you have aggression... They wanted me to see what would happen. or And they wanted to see what would happen with a professional. So if you have aggression in any way, shape, or form when people are coming over, and this could even just be more like reactivity at first, like the dog's barking and, you know, backing away and everything else, put a plan in place before you invite people into your home. If your dog doesn't like children, don't test it just because it's your brother's kids and the dog has met that before. If your dog doesn't like other dogs, like have a plan in action before someone comes over because that will turn into a bite. We see it time and time and time again and plenty of homeowner insurance lawsuits. Like, Do not just let that situation unfold and see what happens. Have a plan in place and a plan that's going to keep everybody safe and not allow another repetition of that BS behavior to be happening with your dog. Yeah, I would say what's more likely is you have a dog that's just a little overly exuberant, loves uh, when people come to visit, jumps on them, gets all excited. Uh, What I would do is put a leash on the dog to start and let the, um, you know, give that dog a chance to kind of decompress with all the new activity and don't have people getting the dog all worked up. And then I would let the leash go when the dog seems calmer and more accepting of these people have been there for 15 minutes or so. And uh, if there's some jumping at that point, you can grab the leash and you can choose to put the dog in the bedroom or, you know, remove the dog from the situation so that you can enjoy the company rather than let the dog just be annoying for the whole time and and make excuses for the dog and and say, well, he loves everybody. That is a good point because a lot of these like bigger doodle mixes and stuff, it's not so much that there was a serious bite, but they jumped on an older person and maybe the person fell backward. They, you know, scratched the skin with their nails because they were so exuberant and it was more thin skin. So just have a plan in place when people come over, because if you want to have people at your home and maybe you don't like people to come over and that's fine, you shouldn't allow your dog to be an asshole. That shouldn't be your method of keeping people away. So have a plan in action and a plan B for if something doesn't go as planned, because you cannot count on the other people to do the perfect thing of feeding and turning and backing away and all of this stuff. Most people will reinforce the bad behavior. They'll say, oh, it's okay. I love dogs. I don't care. And then the people that don't like it will also just say, oh, you know, it's okay. But they really don't like it. You can tell they don't like it. And it's just not good reps for your dog to have. You want the dog to be accepted socially in all situations. And somewhat behaved and controlled, hopefully. That would be my ideal. I'm going to expound upon the aggression a little more. So if you have aggression with handling in any way, shape, or form, so groomer, um, vet tat, vet, 
uh, yourself, but especially as it relates to other like external beings. If your dog has been an ass before, when someone looks at the dog's ears, please do not bring the dog to a new vet and just like test that out for the new vet. Condition your dog to a muzzle. Get your dog to deal with that handling more. That should not be on the tech or the vet. These vets, you guys, their hands are everything, right? We, when Sarge had his vestibular about uh, how many years ago? Do you think that was five? Several, yeah. Yeah, we didn't know what was going on. The emergency vet said maybe it was a vestibular tumor nearby. Anyway, we brought him to a big high-end place in Scarborough, Maine. We were thinking of maybe getting an MRI. We didn't know what was going on. The vet there had recently been attacked, and she was like freaking pretty devastated. Like she, she had, was, yeah, she, had she stitches in her she wrist. She was and pretty like chewed up and she was pretty like, I mean, Sarge is a very social man. She was a little gun shy. Yeah. But she, like she had been coming off of that and us being dog trainers, she was like, holy crap. But that's also their profession, right? Like if they're doing surgery and stuff, like their hands are everything. A little bit different than human doctors. Not that their hands aren't important too, but mo- for most part, the clients aren't going to be biting their hands. Like, do not allow your dog to be injuring a tech or a vet because of a handling issue you knew was present. Get on the ball, have a plan B, put a freaking muzzle on your dog and ha- feed the dog, treat the muzzle, whatever. I don't care. But do not allow that to happen to another person because that is on you. As soon as you see a handling error, you're going to be the one that's conditioning your dog to that handling and you're going to be the one protecting the public from your dog. This... Oh. Go ahead. I would say the difference between the human doctors and the vets is that most human doctors are not surgeons. And I think all That's vets, all vets are surgeons. That's true. But also the aggression. This. Like normally if a, a, a human doctor or whatever, even a surgeon is going to get hurt, like maybe they hurt themselves while skiing. Maybe something else happened. Like these are professionals that are putting themselves at risk. And if your dog freaking injures my vet's hand and my vet can't do surgery, I'm going to be ticked at your dog. So that's more where I was coming at from this. Scott was looking a lot about obedience kind of stuff, but more often than not, we just see people not have any plan whatsoever, or they're just kind of like letting life happen to them. And the dogs sense that too. Like they sense as soon as like, huh, like who is in charge here? Should I step up here? Like what's actually going on? Is everything okay? And then like everything gets really off kilter very quickly. Yes, yes. And, and I hate to go down that anxiety road. It seems like we beat anxiety That's to death on this podcast. But <laughs> That's all that there wh- is As it there. relates to basic obedience, and you don't even need to have any professional trainer. If you are just a person that is going to be consistent with your dog to the point where they learn, holy crap, I, I got to do it their way or we're not going to do it. Meaning we're not going to the beach if you're going to drag me to the beach. Uh, once they learn that you're you're not going to tolerate certain behavior, and that may just mean we're going to turn around, we're not going to go to the beach today if you're going to act like that, uh, they will start to get into alignment with you. Uh, the worst thing is to allow them to drag you to their favorite activity, whether it's a play date, a dog park, the beach, because all that behavior is getting reinforced. They, you take them to the dog park, they get out of the car, and they're just dragging to the dog park door, and everyone's saying, my dog just loves it here. <laughs> and what they're doing is just creating this friggin' monster yeah. that just drags them. Or a and lot, a lot of, of dogs people, will do that into daycare. That's yeah, and a, a lot of older scenario. people, they can't hold the dog. They just let the dog loose. They, they open the car door, the dog just goes right to the gate. You know, They don't have any off-leash control, but they can let the dog loose in the parking lot of a daycare because the dog will just run right to the door because yeah. that's where they want to be. Yeah. 
but they can knock somebody over. There could be a dog coming out that yeah. has a something going on there, especially a vet's office. All of these things we see time and time and time again. And I guess it's because we handle multiple various breeds of our own dogs. We handle a bunch of pet dogs and we're frequently at pet stores. I don't have a tub right now. I'm bringing dogs to woof me out for swimming and grooming every time. Like I, our, these dogs that we have are out and about. And if we turn a corner, I'm not going to let the little 12 pound dog we have in for training get eaten up like a Scooby snack because I wasn't paying attention. So yes, we are always like on guard because they're not our animals or they're animals that could be, you know, more uh, reactive if a dog jumps them or something else. However you want to say it, we are always in this headspace and the amount of clients that we see that are not in this headspace, we do try to help get them to this headspace. And more often than not, it works out and we love our clients and they do a great job and we really are proud of you guys. But when we see people that are just super aloof, it's concerning because like, it's just spreading to the children and the dogs. And then all of a sudden, like the parking lot, like, it's just like, you just, you're like, stand clear of that. It's like the old guy swerving on the highway. You're like, okay, I'm going to speed up. I'm going to be three lanes over and he can do what he's doing. So be conscious of these situations where not only do you not have a plan, but you don't have a plan B if shit fails. And that's equipment failure. That's weather. That's aggression from other things. That's crazy people running out of the bathroom that you don't expect. Have a plan B because it's never the person's fault that had to rush out of the bathroom and rush to their car that scared your dog. That's on you. You were holding the leash. You should be prepared if you have your dog out and about with things that you see, triggers that may come up, and you should have a way to control your dog. That's just the bottom line. That is this base level dog ownership as far as we're concerned. Yeah. I just thought of another plan B situation is if you have to medicate your dog. So you have some little pill or something and you stick it in a hot dog, you know, you're going to put it in a pill pocket, some type of food item. You give it to the dog, dog spits it out. Now the dog won't take it. It's like, I know that you're putting a pill in that thing. I'm not going to eat it. Well, you got to get the pill into the dog. You need a plan B. So you may, now you have to handle the dog. You got to make Scott's plan B would say, babe, yeah. spit yes. it. Yes. <laughs> give this dog a pill. Babe, babe, you got to pill this but one. But the point is you got to pill the dog, which yeah. means you got to put that pill at the back of their throat, close their mouth and hold, make sure that they actually swallow that tablet. Yeah. And that it is. is a good point. You got to get the medicine. You have a spay, you have a neuter, you have antibiotics or pain meds. Like these dogs, We yes, want them to eat it out of a pill pocket yeah. or in a piece of hot dog. That, that would be a, great. That is a frequent but thing. But we had a little, up. we've had a little dog. We had a, had a little dog that she passed away last month that she would take, you could pill, you could put, hide the medicine in something once or twice. And then she knew, oh, I'm not eating that. You got something in there. And we wound up having to, we changed the medication to a liquid so, I could so that we could just it, yeah. syringe it into the back of her throat to get it in here. We needed a plan B. Yeah. For but that, that is, that's, that's basic handling in our home and how we deal with it. I muzzle Cousteau for his nails. That's my original plan, but he's a strong dog. He doesn't always like his nails done and I do it alone. So have a plan in action. And if you have big problem trigger areas in your life that are repeatedly popping up, let's say weekly, daily, monthly, Write those down and then think about, okay, how can I approach this differently? Or do some research or reach out to us. Half the time, if I get an email, studio at thequirkydog.com, I'll send back a quick little blurb and say like, yeah, hey, try this. This might work well for you. There are a lot of resources out there to make your lives better and things easier. And rather than like Scott said way early on in this podcast, make an excuse for your dog or, you know, rationalize it this side or the other way, just make it better. And if you don't have a plan B, at least have a freaking plan to start with because the amount of people without a plan is starting to scare me. And yes, I'm a planner and I like organization, but the world functions better when we run on a schedule. Yeah. And I'm not a big planner. And uh, <laughs> for that reason, quite often, I don't tell my dogs to do certain things or, or 
have a certain, when I do have an expectation, then I need to follow through on it. But uh, I'm more inclined to give my dog more informal type of cues to get him to come to do this or that because um, I'm not, maybe I don't want to enforce, I don't want to go through the work or whatever. Now, that doesn't mean. You also have better normal, like baseline control. I'm not going to put that dog in a dangerous situation. I'm in Boston a lot lately with my dog, Jimmy. Uh, I know that he has fear, uh, he has sound sensitivity. So although he has, I have good control of him off leash, uh, quite often I'll, I'll let him out of my truck, you know, I'll open the door to my vehicle and I'm going to put him in the back in a crate because I have to go into someone's house and I don't want people seeing my dog in the front seat of a vehicle in the city where they might feel a need to smash the windows or who knows what they're going to do in Boston, you know? So I open the door. Now that we live in Maine, we're very judgy. I open the back and I'll open a crate and then I'll say, Jimmy, free. He'll come out, run around and hop up in the crate. That's a pretty typical thing we do. It's all off leash. I don't do that in the middle of the city because if all of a sudden a vehicle with a bad muffler came by or something that freaked him out, I don't want him, his fear to control him in any situation in the middle of Boston. So I will either scoop him up under my arm or I'll put a leash on him and bring him out because I just want to make sure that he gets where I need him to be because I'm actually there to help somebody else. I'm not there to chase my dog all over Boston. Yeah, no, and that's a great example. And even I'm going to tie that into the hiking before we close. If your dog has sound sensitivity of thunder and you're on this great hike and all of a sudden clouds start coming through and there's a big thunderbolt, what if your dog just takes off because of that noise? Like, be prepared for these situations. Our dogs are brilliant teachers. They're giving us feedback every day of, I'm afraid of this. I'm not comfortable with this. This really excites me. I'm not going to have my best listening ears on here. So have a plan for all of those situations because we want you guys to enjoy your dogs as much as possible, have the least amount of stress with your dogs as possible, and keep these dogs safe, right? Like stress levels are going, they're heightened because these dogs sometimes know, shit, nobody's in control. Like this is kind of scary. I better be the one to help out here. So think about these things, come up with a plan, have a plan B, and um, thanks for joining us this Yeah, Wednesday. I just want to say in, in closing here, when you talk about um, these dogs are good teachers, when you get a rescue, it's going to take you a few months to get to know that dog yeah, and to get and for them to get to know you. So the last thing you want to do is just give them a lot of freedom in the beginning and let them like open their wings and get yeah. to be, because they're, they're kind of testing the waters and they may have some big fears that you weren't aware of. So you want to kind of get to know this dog before you really just give them a ton of freedom. You may find out like with my dog, I don't give him freedom in this situation because he has a fear of this or, you know, he's aggressive with little kids or whatever the case may be, but you need to take some time to get to know these dogs. And you need to be willing to learn, you guys. Like, that's on us. That's part of us as owners. All right. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you garnered some new information and we will see you guys next Wednesday. In the meantime, keep it quirky. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.